And welcome once again to the Daily Gator Daily Thought, a Sunday edition. And I'm thinking of maybe if I do these on Sunday, maybe every Sunday, I can just yak about you know, not not stuff that's too political a little bit, but more cultural, so throw some sports in. I don't know. I haven't decided yet. But anyway, <clears throat> I do need to kick the story off uh, with a story about filmmaker Michael Bay. He is very upset because there's a story from uh, a website called The Rap, W-R-A-P, as false, reckless, and defamatory. Well, what is so what is so bad that was written about him? Okay. Well, apparently, uh, the publication, The Rap, reported he was actually facing criminal charges in the nation of Italy. Uh, because, uh, well, he, he killed a pigeon, supposedly, allegedly, on the set of the 2019 Netflix film Six Underground, which I never watched and have never heard of. Uh, that's according to Variety Magazine. The comments come after the rap reported that he was facing charges, he being Michael Bay, in Italy associated with the killing of a pigeon, which is a protected species in the country. All I know about pigeons is they're they're kind of goofy the way they walk around. Uh, generally, they're very pretty birds to look at. And they crap on everything, folks. I tell you, if we were to weaponize pigeons, we could conquer most nations in a week. You know, we can turn the uh, the weaponized pigeons off if if you surrender to the United States right now. And since you're ankle deep in poop now, I guess it, it, it won't last too much longer. So just surrender now and the pigeons will leave you alone. That's how much pigeons crap. So I don't know if the man killed a pigeon. I don't know if he did kill a pigeon. Was there a good reason, bad reason? I mean, I have... And I've lost my father, uncles, grandfathers. I've done it myself at times. An animal is suffering and there's no more can be done for him. And yes, I'll, I'll confess. Uh, I have put those animals down. <clears throat> so uh, it would depend on why the pigeon was killed. Did the pigeon launch a, a, uh, a defecation assault? Before Michael Bay killed the alleged pigeon. So Michael Bay allegedly killed an alleged pigeon. A lot of allegations there, folks. I don't know. I don't really care. But this is the stuff that uh, a lot of, lot of uh, what do you call it? The pop culture people really get into. They, they obsess over these stories. Did you hear Michael Bay killed a pigeon? He killed a pigeon. Yes. Yes. Was the pigeon pooping on him? I don't know, but he killed a pigeon. That's pigeon side. He, we cannot watch any more Michael Bay films or movies. That's the kind of stuff that, uh, to me, is just minutiae. Don't worry about it. But, well, I guess the I will get protested now by the pigeon pigeon defense fund or something. Oh, uh, let's move on, my friends. <clears throat> uh, let's get into a little sports. An NFL executive claims that the Rams-Seahawks game, I assume it was the the last game of the year for both teams when the Seahawks clinched a playoff spot, 
was the year's worst officiated game. To say a game out of you know, 32 teams playing 17 games each, that's a lot of games. To say that this game was the worst officiated is, is pretty strong. Because let's face it, NFL referees, along with college football referees, uh, basketball referees, but let's stick to football right here. Uh, they suck. You know why they suck? Because they don't know the rules. At times, they seem not to know the rules. But on judgment calls like pass interference, it, it seems one problem I would name in officiating suckage, if you will, is that the the people who make the rules are really, they're not very bright. Let's take a concept. Concept that people wanted for years in football, both college and pro, instant replay. That was a con. I think that ball hit the turf. It wasn't a catch. What has it led to? Now, in in theory, it works fine. But for something that it sets that works fine in theory to work fine in real life, you have to have smart people. You can't have a bunch of Karens. You can't have a bunch of dipshits. Excuse my French. Take what a catch used to be in the NFL and college. If you caught the ball, if you had possession of the ball, control the ball, and you got two feet down in bounds, it was a catch. If you got uh, made the catch, put both feet down, the cornerback who was defending on the play uh, hit you, uh, gave you a good shoulder tackle, and you went out of bounds, and you, you hit the ground, and the ball came loose, it was still a catch because you had control of the damn ball with two feet down. Very simple. Very simple. And then came the NFC Championship game in 1999 between the Tampa Bay Buccaneers and the St. Louis Rams. And there was a catch, I think it was a catch, by Keenan McCardell of the Bucs, the wide receiver. And uh, it was ruled not a catch ultimately. But that got the ball rolling on what is a catch, what is not a catch. And then the idiots showed up and they, they got into this minutiae of of controlling the ball and what is a catch the ball can hit the ground if you have control of it or it's they've just defined it to so fine a point no one no one on god's green earth knows what the hell a catch is anymore and they they have replay okay they go to replay and if you notice the play will happen the the teams will huddle up the offense, defense, come up to the line of scrimmage. The ball is about to be stopped. Oh, the referee will stop the play. It's already been a minute, minute and a half since the last play. But now they've decided they're going to review it. And then they, they're supposed to have a time limit on, on the review. If you can't tell in review very quickly, you can't see something obvious to stand. The call should stand. That makes sense. But they don't do that anymore. Now they show replay after replay after replay. And after about five minutes... They'll finally say uh, no catch or catch. Whatever the call was, was it a fumble, wasn't it a fumble? They've over, uh, they've over drama, not over dramatized. They've got into this, this way of defining things. They've over defined what a catch is and what it isn't. You see, that's a kind of a common sense thing. That's how it was before when I was a kid growing up. Did the guy catch the ball? The ball doesn't hit the ground. He catches it. 
His both feet are in bounds. He's got the ball. That's a catch. It's so very simple. Yet, the idiots have made it hard. And now you get into these overly long, it's the same with replay. The overly long, drawn-out replays. Why can't you stick to a rule? You made a rule that you've got maybe 90 seconds, whatever it was, to review a play. If you can't make a decision one way or the other in 90 seconds, the call stands. Okay. But they can't do that. There's, and the referees now are so worried about getting a call wrong. Oh, so so now they're doing it in this, this really self-conscious way. We don't need this, folks. How about a catch goes back to what a catch was? And we have replay, that's fine. But you've got a time limit, and this is the way it should work. And I am volunteering my services to the NFL or college football, either way. Put me in a booth, put, set me up with the equipment where I can I can watch a game and I can and I'm sure other people do this too, and I'll watch the game. Now, if I see a pass, this receiver goes up, he comes down with the ball. Was he inbounds? Was he not? Did he catch it? Did he not? I will be able to hit a button, hold, tell the referee, the, the, the head official, hold on a second. I'm going to re- review the play immediately as soon as I see it. I'm going to review it and watch the replays and go, yeah, catch or no, no catch or, this call, or I don't know the call stands. Very quick process. Instead, uh, the booth has to signal down to the ref, then the ref will stop the game. Then he'll go over and, and get his head under the hood and watch this, this little camera, and he'll go on and on and on and on and on, watching replay after replay after replay after replay. And he still can't really decide, so it call stands. There needs to be time limits. They need to be enforced. If they can't do that, then screw replay. Sorry to say that, but... I've seen replay get it wrong too many times. I've seen it take way too long too many times. Just scrap it until you get people intelligent enough to use common sense into defining what is a catch, what is a fumble, et cetera, et cetera, what inbounds means or not, uh, and was the quarterback's arm going forward or not, was he past the line of scrimmage or not. And when you can do that, then put a common sense system in place And stick to it. And who cares if people criticize it? No matter what you do, people will criticize. So just use your brains. I know your officials, your referees are smarter than this. Hell, most uh, semi-retarded ferrets are smarter than this. But again, when you get the experts in there, the self-appointed experts and the executives, everything goes to hell eventually. There you go. So now that I fixed the officiating problems and replay in both college and pro football, I'll I'll take a check from all all involved, and I will volunteer my services for uh, to do exactly what I described to doing, and I will of course expect uh, compensation. Thank you very much. Now today is January the fifteenth. You know what that is? It's an anniversary of a pretty. I guess, I don't know if momentous is too big a word, but it's it's a really cool day, a really cool day to mark an anniversary. In fact, it is the 14th anniversary of something. Don't know? Do you remember the expression uh, uh, Miracle on the Hudson? Do you remember uh, the pilot Sully for U.S. Airways? 
Now, an Airbus A320, a U.S. Airways Airbus 320, landed on the Hudson River January 15th of 2009. Uh, this was a crash landing, of course, but thanks to the pilot's skills and response, all, all 150 passengers and five crew survived. No replay needed. This article takes a look at the events of that day and what has happened since. Uh, and this is from simpleflying.com. Uh, you should see their model page. And yes, I'm being sarcastic. But uh, U.S. Airways 1549 was a flight. Had a call sign of Cactus uh, 1549. Was scheduled to uh, from LaGuardia, New York City to Charlotte, North Carolina. On the afternoon of January 15th of again 2009, the flight was operated by an Airbus A320-214. Uh, powered by two GE CFM56 engines, this was delivered new. This was delivered new to U.S. Airways in August of '99. In charge of the flight was Captain Chelsea or Chesley, excuse me, Sullenberger, uh, affectionately known as Sully. Uh, the first officer was Jeffrey Skiles. Both men had uh, an incredible amount of experience flying. Uh, Sully had been a military pilot with total flying hours of almost 20,000 at the time of the accident, including almost 4,800 hours on the A320 specifically. Uh, Scowls did not have very much, but again, he wasn't the pilot. He was the co-pilot. And there were problems after the takeoff. The plane had to, it was going to crash. It wasn't going to end well. And this captain did this incredible thing of managing to land it on the Hudson River. And, of course, radioed ahead, have boats. We're going to, you will see us coming. You're not going to miss an A320. It's kind of big. And then they could go about rescuing the people very quickly, getting them out of the plane, into the water, and, and rescuing them. And there were no people lost in this. Uh, because, again, you can land the plane like that, but it's going to sink. It's, it's not just going to float forever. So an incredible, really, day. I remember the film, and, and when it happened, I was home and, and watching. And it was really, really cool uh, thing to watch. And, of course, you're, you're, you're praying for the people, hoping everyone gets out alive. Uh, but uh, happy anniversary to Sully and all the people who were on that plane. Uh, you better thank God every day for that pilot and the co-pilot. A good job from everybody on that one, my friends. And another thing that uh, I really admire, beyond pilots who can land giant aircraft on the water, uh, but there's a, a thing I always have appreciated. When someone has a love something they do for a living, whatever it is, uh, and they do it, get to do it for a long, long time, I always think those are some of the luckiest people that have ever lived. And a man, a gentleman named Death Ray Cordero, you've probably never heard of him, because he is a Hong Kong DJ broadcaster. He passed away at the age of 98. Uh, but his career being a DJ, a broadcaster, lasted more than six decades. And again, this is from Billboard. He got to do something they apparently loved. I mean, you wouldn't do something for over six decades if you didn't love it. 
but the story goes uh, from this from the, the Associated Press and Billboard magazine. Ray Cordero, who interviewed music arts, including the Beatles, during a six-decade decade career on Hong Kong radio uh, that earned him the title of the world's longest-working disc jockey, has died. His former employer announced he was 98. He passed away two days ago on the 13th. Uh, that is according to Radio Television Hong Kong, where he worked until 2021. No cause of death was given. I would say the cause of death was probably 98 years old. Um, Cordero was born in Hong Kong in 1924 of Portuguese descent and was recognized by the Guinness Book of Records as the world's longest working DJ. Uh, and God bless him. And is Guinness Book, didn't it used to be the Guinness Book of World's Records? Now it's just the Guinness Book of Records. I think World's Records sounds more dramatic, more official, more important. You should change the name back. Okay, and this is coming from me. I'm the future head of all NFL rules and replays. If you haven't heard, you didn't take the hint that I'll help them out if they if they if they allow me to, and if they want to pay me enough, I'll do it just for you, NFL. Uh, let me see what else we got as far as people we should honor. How about uh, Callie Humphreys? What a show off she is. Just wait till you hear this story. She's a bobsledder. Is that what the kids call it now? Uh, no, she's a bobsledder, which is, I think, it's fun to watch on TV, bobsledding and the luge. But man, I think I would probably, in younger days, I would love doing it. But I would be scared now when I'm, you know, getting older. Because uh, they fly down that, uh, down that little ice ice racetrack they have there uh kelly humphreys a united states person an american see americans are still the best best damn bobsledder ever an american take that china put that on tiktok and stick it up here you know what you communist bastards kelly humphreys of us has won her 100th major bobsled medal You know, they don't pass those medals to anybody, folks. They don't just give them out like candy. (laughs) No, 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 no. You've got to finish first, second, or third, and win. Of course, third will be bronze. Uh, Second will be silver, and gold is the first medal. But Kelly Humphreys has won her 100th major bobsled medal. Uh, This from the San Diego Union Tribune. Also known as the San Diego Weekend Holder leading an NFL playoff game at Jacksonville Tribune. Uh, oh, that's right. The Chargers aren't in San Diego anymore, are they? They made the move to Los Angeles. So people in San Diego are probably like, yeah, screw you, Chargers. You left us, so screw you, man. Uh, this was reported yesterday at 11.07 a.m., uh, Kelly Humphreys of the U.S. got a milestone medal Saturday, winning a World Cup Women's Moon uh, Monobob race. I imagine that means it's just her piloting it. For the 100th top three finish of her career in major international competition, Humphreys has won 70 medals in two women races in her career, 60 in World Cups, uh, seven at the World Championships, and three at the Olympics. She's won another 11 medals in monobob events, including Olympic gold at Beijing last year, 
plus 10 more on the North American Cup circuit, and nine medals in team competitions. Uh, doesn't that... Uh, doesn't that add up to more than 100? But anyway, I'm not going to do the math, but that's a lot of medals. She's good. Humphreys used a blazing second run to finish two heats on Saturday in one minute, 57.92 seconds. Germany's Laura Nolte was second, and Canada's Cynthia Apaya was third. Humphreys' winning margin of, of five, 55 hundredths of a second was the largest in World Cup monobob race this season. Uh, she got 225 points, or standing points for the win, 15 more than Nolte got for finishing second. Uh, But 100 medals, that is absolutely incredible. That is absolutely incredible. Uh, Good for her. Good for her, good for her, good for her. Hats off and salute to Kelly Humphreys. Uh, You don't want to go bobsledding with her. Trust me, you'll lose. She's like the, uh, she is to bobsled as, as Dr. J was to dunking the basketball. She is to bobsledding what uh, the Undertaker was to re- winning WrestleManias. She is to bobsledding what I am to blogging. <laughs> uh, yes, I know people say I have too much ego. But hey, someone's got to brag on me. I'll do it. Now let's move on, my friends. <clears throat> uh, the second main story. Apparently, Joe Biden has. Uh, remember, he he was very harsh on Trump for uh, losing documents, having documents in unsecured places, and why do you have all these documents? Remember, the FBI raided Mar-a-Lago, and they went through Melania's underwear. I don't know why, uh, but it was a big production. The media was all over it. Breaking news. And now it's kind of the media soft selling, of course, because President Mumbles, they like President Mumbles. He's not Trump. He's not a Republican. That's good. He's not a conservative. That's even better. But he's not Trump. And uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, But more classified documents have been found at the president's home. Uh, Let me see this from ABC News. Five other classified papers were found at the president's home. I assume that's in Delaware. Haven't read the story yet. Uh, This is from late last night. His home in Wilmington, Delaware, according to a new statement from the White House counsel, uh, Richard Sauber. Uh, Sauber said the personal attorneys for the president who do not have security clearances Stopped searching the residence after discovering a document Wednesday with a classified marking in a room adjacent to the garage. So they're finding them scattered everywhere, really. What is what is this stuck under the curtain? What is is he using classified documents to you know kind of stable ta- stable this table that's a little off balance, Mister President? Come on. That's just conjecture that hasn't actually happened yet. Uh, Because I have security clearance, I went to Wilmington Thursday evening to facilitate providing the document the president's personal counsel found on Wednesday to the Justice Department, Salber said, while I was transferring it to the DOJ officials who accompanied me, five additional pages with classification markings were discovered among among the material with it 
for a total of six pages. So five plus one is six. We're still good there. The the uh, the transgender folks haven't haven't found offense at that yet. Uh, this latest set adds to the discovery of classified documents from Biden's time as vice president at his previous office at the Penn Biden Center in Washington and in his garage in the Wilmington residence. Uh, and again, I would check under all the tables if they were out of balance or chairs, whatever. They may be folded up, kind of stabilizing those things. I don't know. Uh, now, this week, Attorney General Merrick Garland appointed former Maryland United States Attorney Robert Hur as special counsel to lead the investigating, investigation rather into the handling of the classified records by uh, President Mumbles, then Vice President Mumbles, before he was mumbling. And I don't think I don't think much is going to come of it because I don't think they want much to come of it. Uh, but this is really, really pathetic, isn't it? Classified documents are classified for a reason. Very few people can observe them, read them, see them, touch them, hold them, because very specific and good reasons, like oh, national security. And yet they found it in Biden's garage, now in another part of his house. They found them here. They found them there. Come on, man. You know, I'm I'm expecting to go to the dollar store one day and see a bin of classified documents from Vice President Biden, Biden, five for a dollar. Give me a break, people. And did you hear Keith Olbermann, bathtub boy, perhaps the looniest of the loons on the left? When the first uh, first batch of classified documents was found, he was on. He was screaming and ranting and raving. Do his little little uh, uh, broadcast there. We're not going to do Hillary's emails again, are we? What do you mean? What do you mean there, Mister Olbermann? We're not doing this. We're not doing this. He was fanatical and angry. It only matters if Trump did it. If Trump did it, it's bad. If Biden does it, it's good. That's the limit to uh, Keith Olbermann's retarded ideal of standards and morals and ethics. So it's just odd to me, folks. It really is. This is, it's sad. It's not, it's not a good thing to have classified documents up here and there and everywhere where God knows. Hunter Biden had the key to one of these residences, I believe. So who knows how many hookers doing porn and, and doing blow and crack and whatever else with Hunter Biden saw him. I don't know. Hunter Biden doesn't even know where his laptop is, remember? Remember that interview with Hunter? Do you have a laptop? Yes. Do you know where it is? Uh, no. You don't know where your laptop is. Trust me, I know where my laptop is. It's right here. I'm doing a podcast on it. And no, there are no classified documents in my home. So there, you racists. And now... The lead story, the most important, crucial story you may hear about today. Probably not, but who knows. Uh, Allure magazine recently did an interview with Gwen Stefani, who was with was a group, no doubt. Now she's married to Blake Shelton. She's a singer. Uh, smoking, smoking hot in her day. 
Um, but she's she's received flack before from the political characters, the, the, the pillow biters, the ankle biters of the world of commentary for cultural appropriation because she's appropriated Japanese culture or something. And she's defended herself. She hasn't apologized. She hasn't, which I, God bless her for that. She hasn't cowed down to the to the masses of idiots yet. Uh, but according to Newser, Gwen Stefani inadvertently sparked a conversation about the difference between cultural appropriation and cultural appreciation this week. And in an allure interview, at one point, Stefani declared, my God, I'm Japanese and I didn't know it. Then F added after a pause, I am, you know, uh, the thing is she used to have some singers with her. Well, the thing is four Japanese ladies, singers, dancers, backups. I'm, I never listened to Gwen Stefani's music. I certainly appreciated seeing her on, on video, but that's not my type of music. Uh, so she had these backups singing ladies <clears throat> that were all Japanese and she's had a long-standing appreciation, I guess, of Japanese culture and Japan. So what? Is that wrong? I mean, if, if a, a singer from Japan was deeply appreciative of Italian culture and heritage and history and fashion or music, whatever, Gwen Stefani is, is partly Italian. Would that be cultural appropriation? We've got to stop do this and we stop it. By stop listening to the men, the uh, the little minions, the pinheads out there who want to whine and cry and get on Twitter and get on Facebook and oh my God, can you believe that? Shut up! Just shut the hell up! Mind your business. If you don't like someone's fashion sense or don't like that someone says they identify with, they think they're Japanese. It's a joke to begin with, right? It's a joke. It's not. They're not seriously saying they're Japanese. They're they're saying, "Hey, I really appreciate the whatever they appreciate about the nation of Japan." <clears throat> so her her remark that I'm Japanese and I didn't know it has just oh my god, people are so offended. All the wilting flowers out there. I'm so offended. I don't know if I can go on. I I just I can't I can't even eat my jello now. I'm too my tummy's too upset. I I don't know how, how I'm going to go on. Those words. I'm Japanese and I didn't know what are just echoing in my head. Grow up, you putts. Uh let me see. Uh during our interview, <clears throat> Stefani asserted twice. That she was Japanese and once that she was a little bit of an Orange County girl, a little bit of a Japanese girl, and a little bit of an English girl. That is uh, from writer uh, Jasa Marie Kalor. Apologize if I mispronounced your last name. Uh, the issue is that the 53-year-old Savani is an American of Italian and Irish heritage. So she's a drug person eats a lot of pasta. Irish and Italian, right? Oh, was I stereotyping? I'm sorry. Uh, but you know those Irish people? You know why there are no Irish lawyers? You ever heard of an Irishman that could pass a bar? <laughs> I made that up myself, folks. You should probably probably go to Anchor right now and start donating to this podcast because of, of yeah, awesome, authentic, and real material that incorporated no, no cultures, I swear. 
uh, and degraded or debased no one for free from me. Uh, let me see. So she's of Italian and Irish heritage without any Japanese ancestry. Does that mean she can't like Japanese food? Uh, can't like vacationing or visiting Japan? Does that mean she can't admire uh, Japanese fashion or Japanese tradition or culture? Of course not. You know, there's Yankees out there that eat black-eyed peas and cornbread and collard greens and love that kind of food. They love fried okra. They love fried chicken. They love southern cuisine. Doesn't uh, mean they're southerners, but, and if they said, man, after a good meal, one of my one of my great aunt floors is the greatest cook that's ever lived. Trust me. If if after sitting down to a meal of her fried chicken and her biscuits and her incredible spread of, of food she put out when I visited her in Georgia, uh, anybody from Vermont or Ohio or any even California, if they said I think I'm a southerner now, why would that be offensive to me? Why would that offend anybody? It's a compliment. That's what Gwen Stefani's doing. She's complimenting. She's commenting on her unique personality. But I guess you're not allowed to be unique and have a personality anymore. Uh, Lord knows these ankle biters aren't that just live to be offended. They're just, they're just look for, for clickbait. I'm offended. Click here. Click here. Click here. I'm really offended. Click here. Click here. Uh, let me see. Now, Jap uh, she has, that Stefani, however, long embraced Japanese culture, uh, specifically its uh, Harajuku culture in her music career and in spinoff merchandise such as her popular uh, Harajuku Lover's Perfume. I'm wearing it right now. And that, yes, that's a joke. Shocking news. <laughs> Future Hall of Fame podcaster. Wears women's perfume and appropriates Japanese culture. Kalor uh, notes that Stefani has faced backlash over her use of Japanese imagery, including the backup dancers I spoke about for years. And she arranged the interview to see what the singer may have learned about the experience. Uh, now, Stefani, who says her businessman father first stoked her interest in Japan with his stories of working there strongly defended her choices. If people are going to criticize me for being a fan of something beautiful and sharing that, then I just think that uh, doesn't feel right, she said. Should It should be okay to be inspired by other cultures because if we're not allowed, then that's dividing people, right? Bravo, Miss Stefani. God bless you. Thank you for having the common sense to think that way and the guts it takes now these days, if you're a public figure, to actually express those views. Gwen Stefani, you rock. Do we need more people like Gwen Stefani to make to take these cultural appropriation mongers? And I don't know. Just go away. Get a life. Uh, but Kalor, again, if I'm, I'm mispronouncing your last name. I apologize, who is a first-generation Filipina-American and has experienced anti-Asian harassment firsthand, isn't so sure about that. She says, I envy anyone who can claim to be part of this vibrant, creative community, but avoid the part of the narrative that can be painful or scary. Oh, here we go with the narrative. It's scary being this. It's scary being that. Oh, somebody looked at me funny. 
Well, in my experience, if you're a Filipina American woman, there's a good chance you're smoking hot. And yes, you're probably going to get looked at because smoking hot. Uh, but see, you can't just be a Filipina American. You have to have talk about your narrative and painful parts and scary parts, and you have to be obsessed over your own identity. And then you have to be offended at other people who are interested in people's identities or cultures or heritage or history, cuisine, whatever. It's sad. It's just sad. Now, this interview is called The Stir Online with Olivia Truffaut Wong of the cut tweeting uh, that Stefani has used. Excuse me. Uh, Olivia Truffaut Wong of the cut, whatever the hell that is, tweeting that Stefani has used Asian women as props to help her get rich. Well, I think she probably used her looks, her voice, and her talents, singing, dancing, whatever, uh, to get rich. Uh, and is there something wrong with that? I don't think she's used Asian women as props. She seems a person to be genuinely enraptured, in a way, by parts of Japanese culture. I'd love to go to Japan. I think parts, parts of Japanese culture are awesome. Again, my first bartending gig was at a Japanese restaurant for three years or four years. And I got enraptured by several uh, Thai and Japanese and Chinese and Filipino and uh, Vietnamese, Korean. A lot of differences in those cultures and a lot in common. It was great to be able to go out. In fact, uh, they used to have employee meals before before the restaurant opened i started taking i think we opened like five o'clock in the afternoon or four o'clock i can't remember so about three o'clock they'd have a, a meal that the cooks prepared the chefs it was a japanese steakhouse teppanyaki style they cook in front of you and shockingly philip they had filipino cooks korean thai uh they had some americans too it was it was funny but uh you know, they, they do the, the really cool stuff with the cooking and excellent tasting food. But they had employee meal. And being a 24-year-old American guy who, you know, had never had anything against Asian people, um, never really knew anything about them. And there was one specific room. It's a big kind of square table you all sit around. You had to take your shoes off to go into that room. And so, okay, I had to learn to take your shoes off, go, and then you step down in front of the, the table, the big, long, like a, a U-shaped bench. And there was some type of noodles they were they had made. And the first thing I noticed after I sat down and once everyone began eating was that in, in Asian cultures, it is, it is encouraged to slurp a lot, to be a noisy noodle eater noodle and whatever broth and i was going what in the hell just kind of looking around trying not to be obvious trying not to but i it was like a a, th a thunderous amount of slurping and this korean lady beside me uh she was like oh that's that's good manners 
so you don't have to no one expects you to but you know that's kind of good manners oh okay so i said no problem so was i wrong to learn about that if i was to go and then use that knowledge and and try to do as the others would that have been insulting would that have been cultural appropriation no we all have different cultures we're different we're supposed to be coming together uniting not looking at little things like skin color or religion or anything like that yet every time we do here comes some little ankle biter yelling and bitching and whining and moaning and crying your cultural appropriation using as props shut up that's what these people need to hear two words shut up shut up again just shut up uh let me see now this lady olivia trufant wong i'm assuming i'm, I'm sounds like a french and uh, chinese name Maybe she's French and Chinese. Uh, but uh, this person from The Cut tweeted that Stephanie has used Asian women as props to help her get rich. But other people uh, who apparently have common sense and cognitive ability, others defended Stefani. Everyone can't wait to be offended by something that came from Real Housewives celebrity Kyle Richards uh, per page six. Conservative commentator Megan Kelly she is still hot, by the way. Uh, also also sided with Stefani. Uh, notes Yahoo News. A rep for S- Stefani suggested that Kalor misunderstood Stephanie's comments but did not elaborate. You know what? She likes Japanese culture, and there's nothing wrong with that. Nothing at all, Gwen Stefani. You're fine. The people with the problem are the other people, the ankle biters, I keep calling them. Uh, there's something worse I would call them, but I'm, I'm trying to be kinder and gentler these days. So Gwen Stefani, you rock, keep doing what you do. Don't let the, don't let the hate mongers out there, uh, get you down. And, uh, that's about it folks. That's all I guess. Almost time to watch football now. And yes, I did. I was watching the Jaguars game with the chargers and it was 27 to nothing. And late in the first half. And apparently, um, I put the computer aside and said, yeah, cause I have a problem. Sometimes I want to get on my computer and watch the game. I just wanted to watch the football game, nothing else. So I put it aside and of course I fell asleep apparently before halftime and woke up later, like 12 o'clock, one o'clock in the morning, whatever. And the, uh, ESPN was still on because I think that's who broadcast the game and they were, showing highlights and and i'm thinking wait wow jacksville won they overcame a 27 nothing deficit and a quarterback i love this kid man four you throw four picks in the first half two of them should should not have been because there was pass interference learn the rules ref but anyway he threw four picks three to asante samuel jr what a what a hell of a cornerback he is but three picks by him four in the first half then all he did was come back and throw four touchdowns to to lead the uh, lead the Jaguars back. They won 31-30. Good for them. And right now they're they got to go to Kansas City most likely, and that's not going to end well for them. But anyway, the Niners won yesterday, three games a day. Uh, we'll see what happens. I haven't missed a pick yet. I did pick the Jaguars, and I did pick the uh, the Niners. 
yesterday and today I'll I'll pick again. Buffalo's going to beat Miami. Cincinnati's going to beat Baltimore. Uh, a third string quarterback for the Dolphins, second string for the Ravens, and uh, in the uh, I think Ravens Bengals is a nightcap. But in the other game, everyone seems to be jumping on the Giants and they're going to beat the Vikings. Let me tell you what. Daniel Jones, good quarterback for, for the Giants. I like the kid. But uh, give me Kirk Cousins of Minnesota in a tight game. Give me him. And give me the Vikings, who have been a lot of tight games this year. And tie that in with my sheer hatred for New York and their governor and their idiot leftist policies. Give me, uh, give me Minnesota. Talk to you tomorrow, my friends. God bless you. Enjoy your Sunday afternoon. Whatever you're going to do, enjoy it. Just don't be an ankle biter and don't get offended when someone says they like Japanese culture. Okay. Can we do that? I don't even care if you like Hungarian culture, which I know nothing about. That's your business, man. Be you. You do you. And I'll talk about it on this podcast. God bless y'all. Take care. Go Gators. Remember, if you're left, you just ain't right. And God bless America. Three rules to life, my friends. That this will You can't go wrong with them. I'm telling you. Y'all be good. Take care. I'll speak at you manana, you freaks.